One after another they come. Never hearing those sounds from the secret garden. Never suspecting they will soon be making those sounds. One after another they check in and pray for the day they can check out. Motel Hell. It takes all kinds of critters to, to make, make Farmer Vincent fritters. <laughs> Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about. I'm Trent, here with Kevin, Kat, and Dave. Hello. 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 Hi. July 21st, Bayside Bowl on the roof in Portland, Maine, 8.30 p.m. Free event. We are screening the 1982 horror anthology Creep Show. This is going to be our uh, our second screening. Pretty exciting. Coming right up next week. Weather permitting, of course. I'm not sure what happens if it's raining, but we will let everybody know this week. Dave, finally, thank you, Dave, has uh, picked a couple of movies that were not made by abusers and are not like all about male gaze and all this, you know, pretty sleazy stuff that some of us tend to bring in here. This week, we have a couple of pretty family friendly, pretty clean, no problematic elements really in either of these movies. We're going to start with a 1979 under the radar hidden gem, in my opinion called Tourist Trap. Tourist Trap, supernatural slasher, directed by David Schmoller, who's best known for Puppet Master. Uh, but Tourist Trap was originally set to be directed by John Carpenter. And then I heard that he wanted too much money. So uh, they went with David Schmoller. Uh, it was produced and reissued by legendary cheapskate Charles Band <laughs> for Full Moon Features, uh, which is home of Puppet Master, Ginger Dead Man, Evil Bong, and the Stuart Gordon classic, which I'm going to bring in here at some point, uh, is Castle Freak. Taurus Trap stars most notably Chuck Connors. This guy is a renaissance man. Chuck Connors was a professional athlete in the 1950s. He played baseball for the Brooklyn Dodgers, and he played basketball professionally for the Celtics. Celtics. Whoa, the Celtics? You don't say... But he's best known for acting in the Western TV series, The Rifleman. It's like a low-budget gunsmoke knockoff. Uh, it also stars Tanya Roberts, who went on to Charlie's Angels, The Beastmaster. It is a Bond girl from View to Kill. Um, that 70s show. Yes, and that 70s show. Thank you. I never saw her in that, uh, but Kevin told me that the late, great Tanya Roberts did stand the test of time in that 70s show he was quite aroused and titillated by her <laughs> final form <laughs> uh, anyway it's a story of a group of young adults that break down in an old highway and they're next to this uh like obsolete highway and there was like a, a highway ba- bypass or another highway built uh so this like thriving tourist town location is now a ghost town um with a broke down Slauson's roadside museum is still occupied by Mr. Slauson, uh, a nostalgic, tortured widower who lives at the museum alone 
As Mr. Slauson begins to help them with their car troubles, they begin learning the history of the Wax Museum and a bunch of uh, secrets in Mr. Slauson's past. The antagonists in Taurus Trap are primarily uh, cackling mannequins with telekinetic powers. And I think that the set design and the look of the mannequins is what makes this far more terrifying than most 70s like PG horror movies. The production designer, uh, Robert A. Burns, was also the production designer for Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I was talking to Kevin earlier that I think that if this had a little bit more grit, even if it was implied or gore or just a little more shock, that it would be in almost that category of Texas Chainsaw Massacre mixed with the disturbing uh, doll imagery. This is like supernatural doll horror before it became possibly the lowest brow subgenre of horror. Mm. Um, and uh, for our second episode, we went to uh, the Salem Witch Museum. Mm-hmm. And anyone who has ever been to any attractions like this that predate like the 1990s, these cheaply made props and wax <laughs> figures are nightmare fuel. Yes. And as a kid, my parents took me to these places that look like this and they scare the hell out of me. And I always thought that I was just a wimpy kid that was scared of like melting Davy Crockett. Uh, but this film proves that parents knew damn well they were traumatizing us back in this era. Uh, Tourist Trap 100% reminds me of vacationing as a child. It's scary. Uh, I think it's a very original slasher. Uh, what did you guys think? I love this movie. I had never heard of Tourist Trap until you mentioned it a few weeks ago, Dave. And uh, it's on Shutter right now. It's on Tubi for free. You can rent it on Prime. That's the only VOD option. This is like a true lost gem in my mind because A, it's um, really not out there that much. And B, this isn't one that's like a lost gem because it's like goofy and stars Tiny Tim and is so bad it's good. And you can see the continuity errors and it's like funny. Like this is a really good horror movie to me. It kind of, you know, it's hard to describe it as anything but a slasher, but it's not really a slasher. It's not really a traditional slasher, I don't think. It does have a lot of elements of, of Texas Chainsaw. The um, the killer certainly, I thought, reminded me of Leatherface where he's gussying up for dinner. and <laughs> yep, dinner scene. <laughs> He's changing his masks and stuff. Um, I really enjoyed this one. The ending, ah, man. Mm. Just that that final scene alone, I did not expect that. Um, The director, Smoller, he directed a movie called The Seduction in 1982 with Morgan Fairchild. He directed Crawl Space in 86. Klaus Kinski. Klaus Kinski. And he made the documentary we talked about when we talked about Nosferatu. Smoller is the one who made the documentary, Please Kill Mr. Kinski. Um, Chuck Connors, I loved in the lead role. This was offered apparently to Jack Palance, which I would have liked to to have seen. (laughs) Yeah. But I thought Chuck Connors did a great job in this. He kind of has a... um, a lot to do here. And not not only did he play for, uh, was it the Dodgers? Yeah. When they were in Brooklyn, yeah. Brooklyn yeah, Dodgers. Yeah, the Celtics. He's one of only 13 people to play for both the MLB and the NBA. That is some rare company. Wow. I thought the acting in this was pretty good. Uh, I thought the story was pretty good. I haven't seen um, House of Wax in a long time, but it kind of reminded me of something along those lines. Both of them. Yeah, yeah, right. I don't think I've ever seen the original. And the 05 remake. Yeah, this is just, this is a very, very good little hidden gem. I would recommend this highly. Talk about a campy, weird movie that is also pretty fucking terrifying. The opening house scene with poor little Woody, 
it's set up in such a weird, like, question of what the fuck is going on here. Is it a murderous guy just taking out tourists? But wait, is everything animatronic and murderous? But wait, are all of these things possessed? These are all questions that are posed in the first scene. Is this some ghost shit? We don't know. It set up a lot of unanswered questions, like, right off the bat, that, I don't know, kind of go unanswered, I think, for the most part, for the rest of it, except for, like, a handful of things. But mostly, um, it's still unclear about these things that moved on their own. So, are there ghosts? Can you guys answer this for me? No, it's a carry thing. Is that what it, it is? Yeah. It's like a... Yeah. It, it was yeah. originally supposed to be ghosts. It was okay. changed. There was one of the producers from what Charles I... Band. Charles what, Band. Charles Band. None, none yeah. of the ghost things were in there. I think that... Um, it was supposed to be what we saw minus the right. telekinetic powers. And right. Charles Band insisted that that be put into the movie because of the popularity of Carrie. Okay. My understanding was that some of that stuff was in there, but it was supposed to be haunted, not telekinesis. Well, that's I did what I'm saying. Well, Band put people that, that were in killed there. there and right. That's what I was right. wondering. I was like, were these people that were turned into mannequins then haunting the mannequins themselves, or was the man in charge of this whole little sideshow situation moving things? Anyway. Glad I got a take from you guys because I was still concerned about that. Um, but yeah, while we're on the topic of mannequins, um, let's talk about mannequins for a second. Maybe the thing that I'm most scared of, dolls, specifically haunted mannequins, more specifically laughing haunted <laughs> mannequins. Oh Jaws agape. Oh, but I still loved it in like an old timey, kind of uh, roadside kind of way. Also, I love that Stephen King loved this movie. Maybe that was a big influence for me, but even so, I thought it slapped. This movie scared me. A 1979 crazy mashup. This movie is, like you mentioned it, Kath, that Stephen King loves this. And I think I know why. Stephen King is great at taking like old tropes and old stories and themes that have already existed and mashing them together into like a wonderfully somehow semi-original tale. And this movie does that. It, it's a complete mashup of TCM, of Carrie, of House of Wax, of Waxwork, uh, of Psycho. Like and definitely, it, it, yeah. it somehow like makes it work. Like I wasn't mad. Like as a genre fan, you oftentimes find these movies that are like low budge ripoffs of like all of our favorite classics, and we're pissed at them. This one, I was like, just smiling at it. Like, yeah, <laughs> nailed it. Like this is great. I thought that Chuck Connors was fantastic as Slauson. Uh, the audio that you guys talked about, like, really scared the shit out of me. And apparently, some of, like, the mannequin screams were, like... So, this movie is full of, like, weird ADR and weird foleys. Yeah, and yeah. And some of the audio they pulled for that was from, like, Lady and the Tramp. 
No. I, I, it's so weird. So some of like the mannequin screams and stuff yeah. were like taken from like a Disney movie. Like what? it makes me love this even more uh, because it terrified me. Like it, I should be laughing. Like I was watching this movie and maybe it just caught me at like the right time on the right day and thinking I should be laughing and getting ready to eviscerate Dave. But this is terrifying me. Like somehow this movie totally works. Here's where it doesn't work. Mm. You had a skinny dipping scene in a 1979 horror movie. And by all accounts that I could find, you forgot to ask the actors that signed up for these roles if they would be willing to show boobs. Mm. Wow. When that scene came up, I I know, I agree with you. (laughs) When that scene came up, he finally said, Hey, we're going to do a, the skinny dipping scene. You guys want to show your boobs? Mm-hmm. And they were like, yeah, no, not in the contract. I respect them for that. But I'm just going to go on record as saying is Tanya Roberts uh, made me feel things this week that um, in a very strong way. I'm getting that impression. You've been really. Uh... Uh, yeah, it's weird. It's, it is. Uh... I, it's a little much. It is. It's weird. I feel weird. I feel, I feel weird, weird, guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, this um, this is a rare movie that rips off a bunch of other movies. Has very like I, I mean I'm That's joking. Ta- Tanya Roberts is beautiful in this. Horrible actress. The acting is oh, questionable in this. I thought she was pretty good. Yeah, I mean, like everything about this should make me hate it, and somehow I love it. Thank you. I think you nailed it. Like this is a pastiche that manages to be original through like melding all these things together like you said earlier when we were talking like the past like this melds like 20 years of stuff together you mentioned psycho the whole line about well they moved they built the highway and there's nobody comes through here anymore that's right right out of psycho uh and there's almost word for word yeah right and there's other stuff too you mentioned um Burns, a production designer, he worked on Hills Have Eyes. Also, yes. yep. I mean, there's so much stuff in here. It's, it's out kind of control. Of hot but at the end, at the end, it makes something new. Speaking of uh, biting our lip, scream queens, you wouldn't know it, but the very first appearance of Linnea Quigley as one of yeah, the I mannequins. Couldn't, I couldn't verify that. Like I saw that that she's like an uncredited mannequin in this yeah. movie. Yeah, she is. Speaking of things we couldn't verify, I couldn't get a handle on the budget here. I saw a budget listed at three hundred and fifty thousand, and I saw the budget listed at eight hundred thousand, which is a pretty wide. It looks more like three hundred fifty thousand to me. Yeah, I don't know. this is three fifty. Yeah, I, I would believe it, it's that. not a great looking movie. This hasn't been restored. I don't think Mm-mm. like this is something that I assume that somebody like Severin or Vinegar Syndrome or somebody would have probably restored by now if if that was possible. I don't know, but it does. It it looks. Old and and lower budget. I picked this because I'd been on a uh, a Tubi like downward spiral. I just anything that was on Tubi, any horror movie, no matter how good or bad it was, I just wanted to watch it on Tubi. I even liked the commercials that they chose to show me. I mean, Tubi may be the best horror streaming service. It's great going. Wow. And yeah, I totally understood, Dave. You mentioned the Tubi hole. And I was watching... Uh, <laughs> it sounds so dirty. I totally understand. <laughs> no, because uh, watching this, I totally understand what you mean, because Tubi serves you up the next movie 
very aggressively. Like some of these sites like Hulu or whatever, they will aggressively serve you. But Tubi does it like the credits start rolling and right away it's like up next, sleepaway camp. So we were watching the next movie that we're going to talk about tonight here earlier. And Tubi served us up Return of the Living Dead. And I was like, they nailed it. I know, like, and you're like, oh, it. nice. I ended up watching a bunch of Sleepaway Camp again just because there it is. <laughs> yes. And then it made me wish that we had talked about the similarities between Butcher Baker, Nightmare Maker, and Sleepaway Camp. I would like to talk about um, the guttural voice. It was basically like Tom Waits was yeah. really like talking to me through this whole film, which we all know me and Dave have Tom Waits tattoos. They're you're not so matching, pretty. but they might as well be. I read that the, the, this is one of those um, coke-addled sets that everybody was doing cocaine the whole time. Oh, I love it. That not only that, but Chuck Connors was a leading uh, abuser Cocainer? of the substance. Yeah, that he yeah, was like yeah. doing coke so Why much does the that whole make time. me like Tanya Roberts more? He was. Obs- <laughs> I didn't think uh, anything Chuck Connors could was make obsessed with more. becoming, uh, reinventing himself late in life as, a as like a Lon Chaney yeah. character. He wanted to get into like all of these horror movies. And become like this. I mean, the dude was six five. Like he is a towering presence. I just respect that someone that old was like doing enough cocaine on a crew to be notable as a like <laughs> leading uh, advocate. I feel like we were all doing tons of coke, but Chuck. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> Chuck <laughs> if whoa. this was remade, I would like to see Michael Shannon. Anybody watch the subtitles on this one? Oh yeah, well, I mean, I, did, I watch yeah. everything. But pretty bad, pretty bad subtitles Not on great. this. Also, there's tons of um. Day night issues. So, yeah, like, so like yeah, Eileen, yeah. uh, who was one of our uh, deaths, she is killed by uh, telekinesis strangling her with a scarf. Mm. Great scene. And I love her that one. scene goes like day, night, day, night. Like you could tell they <laughs> shot it over like four days and we're just like, ah, fuck it. Like we're not going to cover up the windows. Uh, also, for, for TCM reference, Jerry jumping out the window, very much like the end of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yes. When, like, Jerry's yeah. jumping out the window or to get away. the 13th. Well, I think this gave us, like, a few kills that we've never seen before, starting with the scarf strangulation that you mentioned, where she's just strangled by her own scarf through telekinesis. There's also a scene where Woody is impaled with a pipe, and you get the pipe now then starts uh, dripping out the blood starts coming out of the pipe that's impaled in his back I haven't seen that but most importantly someone is casted alive in this movie <laughs> where Davy is making so he he like kills these people and he makes like mannequins out of them that's kind of his thing yeah we haven't made that clear and yeah so he's got this this earlier captive you find out later that these kids aren't the only ones there he's got a, a captive and and he plasters her face alive and he narrates the whole thing and tells her how she's going to die <laughs> what die it's going of to feel like before gonna, you... <laughs> your heart's going to give out before you while suffocate. he's rubbing her face with pizza dough yeah <laughs> <laughs> great great scene and something we haven't seen yet I thought this had a very, like, it reminded me uh, of Poltergeist in the way that it was PG, but still scary because of, uh, like, the imagery. Because the MPAA hadn't gotten their (laughs) shit together yet. Oh, there's a scene where you get to watch someone become a mannequin suddenly in real time. That's another kill that we've never seen before where one minute they're talking and they're a normal person and then like over the course of a minute they become a mannequin just through the telekinetic powers of Davy. that's who, so great who gave him 
these powers is what Don't I want to know. know. Um, there's also a scene where a mannequin at one point, I didn't even realize it was a mannequin, but at one point there's a like a rogue mannequin that helps one of the prisoners, gives gives the prisoner some water. Did you guys understand what the hell that was about? You, you know what I'm talking about? No. When, when the prisoner is... is, uh, is yeah, there's like, like a new prisoner introduced in the basement when like yes, Tanya Tina. Roberts is yes. like tied down oh, right, in the basement. Right, 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 right. And, yeah. and, and, and suddenly one of the mannequins comes to life and gives her water. You remember it's a that? sentient mannequin. It never explains why that happened. No, I think that I think that Mr. Slauson, Chuck Connors, he was is, still playing cat and mouse kind of or something. Yeah, and I think he actually did have like empathy and sympathy and was like, or he was just super fucked up and was like, I need to keep you alive long enough to like put my pizza dough on your face. Right. Well, at any rate, the the woman playing that uh, rogue mannequin was Schmoller's wife. Wow, lucky gal. There are just so many sequences in this that, to me, when I'm watching it, are like, for an old, unknown movie like this, that are like, wow, like when the it's revealed at one point that the shotgun is loaded with blanks. Mm. It's such a great scene because, you know, you think one thing is happening and then it's like... <laughs> Very James Bond. Yeah, and then there's a we're watching a scene right now where all these, like, dummies, all the mannequins sort of come to life. It's almost like being at, like... um a Disney attraction like the Pirates of the Caribbean or something. It's where giving a lot of credit. It, but the, no, but I think the way the mannequins were Storyland. I think some of Storyland. <laughs> no, I think some of the audio was used in the Pirates of the Caribbean Disney attraction. Think, that's right. Which is I a forgot. Bullshit ride. By no, the way, that's right. Don't waste your time in line. I mean, if you're ten, I think it's fun. I wouldn't go it's now. Terrible. <laughs> Speaking of, if anyone wants to give money to our Patreon so we can all go uh, to Disneyland, that would be great. Uh, that for would me. be great. Thank you. Yeah. Or a, love or a that. horror amusement park. Ooh, we have horror yes. amusement parks in like Ohio that I really want to go to. Oh yeah, have you ever um, seen that one that like it, it does a really great job of? It has all this fake publicity about how like people are suing them and they yeah. thought they were going to die and all this and had heart attacks. You haven't mm-hmm. you don't know about that one, Kevin? Every no. Halloween, it like it manages to like make the news and do this whole game and they have on the website they have all these videos have you ever watched i have there's like you have to sign like a disclaimer before you go and do it yeah 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 but it looks like i've 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 watched a bunch of the videos it doesn't look scary it looks like we should go on a touristy vacation i think that's people get the misconception that we're like one of these little roadside attractions we're a mom and pop operation like people think we're rich yeah but yeah. No, we could use the money. I'm glad you brought that up, Cat, because none of us get anything out of this except for our own enjoyment. You know, we we just do this because we love it. If you'll notice at the top of this show, we don't um, go through the names of a bunch of local businesses and stuff because we don't want to put anyone on our show. And uh, all the stuff that you hear and the things we do when we do film screenings and things like that, sponsored the Salem Horror Fest last year, which was a lot of fun. That's all stuff that we're just doing. So... You can go to the Patreon and join for $3 a month mm. and put a little something in our pockets if you like the show. Or we'll kill you. How about that? <laughs> give us money or we'll fucking kill you. Or give us money to kill you. If you don't want to do that, you can always write a review. We love to see reviews if you like the show. Also, kill you. And if you send us uh, a screenshot of the review or get a hold of us in, in whatever way you want, we're all out there, uh, we'll send you a t-shirt. 
And we'll yeah. have your address so we can come to your house and kill you. Also might that. show yeah. up. <laughs> if you want us to kill you at this show that we're going to uh, sponsor at Bayside Bowl, we'll throw you off the roof. Yes. We don't know. Happy we'll, to- yeah, we'll do it. Make it look like an accident. All four of us. One for each limb. One, two, three. <laughs> Film 2, Motel Hell, a 1980 horror comedy directed by Kevin Connor. Vincent and his sister Ida operate a roadside motel and beef jerky business. <laughs> However, Vince and Ida have been cultivating a human garden of passersby to plump up for harvesting to make the jerky. Their progressive take on non-GMO, preservative-free, all-natural meat seasoned from herbs in their garden, hmm. could have come straight from the pages of Trent's movie script, Namaste. Yes, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> uh, Vincent's brother is the town sheriff, Bruce, aloof and love-struck for a girl named Terry, mm. who was knocked unconscious after a motorcycle accident nearby and for some reason has been spared by Vincent. Uh, there becomes somewhat of a Stockholm Syndrome love triangle between Vincent, Terry, and Bruce that almost takes this film into straight rom-com. My favorite part of this movie is the characters that get picked off visiting the hotel, which includes a band, Ivan and the Terribles, uh, which one band member is played by John Rassenberger. No way, that was John. Oh, Nick called that right away. He's like, that's the guy from Cheers. Uh, There's also a bondage swinger couple, which Mm -hmm. I thought was great. The least sexy scene in the entire movie. Oh, I mean, <laughs> depends on what you're into. And uh, the local food inspector. Uh, I revisited this recently, and I think uh, Motel Hell is very clever. I think it's uh, a pretty smart uh, horror comedy, and I feel like it's an anomaly. Uh, this guy's career really didn't have any more uh, horror in it. Uh, I think this is lightning in a bottle, but I love Motel Hell. I think it's witty and smart, and I hope you guys loved it. I mean, again, I was like, come on. Can you get us out of this late 70s, <laughs> early 80s rabbit hole that you have been, you have fallen into for so long? Golden age. And then I watched Motel Hell, and I could not have loved this movie more. This movie started off as, a, like, intended to be a very serious horror movie, and they quickly made a wise decision to make this a dark comedy. And it is that. It delivers. Everything about it, just like the last movie we talked about, Tourist Trap, it is aping TCM. It is aping Psycho. It is just, like, ripping off other movies. I don't think that Dave could have possibly intended to provide us with two movies that rip off multiple other properties and pull it off so well. It's like the blues. There's, like, the same formula is okay. It's kind of hard to like not rip you, off. You horror literally, movies. in yeah. one sentence, just redeemed your. You just <laughs> proved yourself as completely legitimate. 
Rory Calhoun as Vincent is fantastic. The whole like love triangle you talked about, which by the way, it's one of the weirdest love triangles I have ever seen. It it's makes, saying a lot. It makes no sense. Terry has some daddy issues or She's something happened to her. Grampy issues. Yeah. <laughs> but it has really great kills. It it actually is like super funny. Um, it also has a very deep uh, Night of the Living Dead moment that I appreciated a ton. Well acted, not scary, more more funny than scary. I loved this. I also thought that this was a very fun pick uh, for me this week, for sure. You know, we kind of had this theme, people being turned into things. These people, uh, yeah, they're being turned into meats. I would say this was um, inspired by the serial killer uh, Robert Picton from Canada. But unfortunately, uh, this happened like a good like 20 years uh, before he was apprehended in 2002. It just kind of shows that the scariness that this movie is depicting is uh, it just thought up. Somebody just thought of it. And thought that maybe it wouldn't happen in real life, but surprisingly, it did a good, like, 30 years later. But, yeah, just a nice family horror film. I'd say a lot less incest than I kind of expected. I was waiting for the sister and the brother to kiss. Um, but then you got that cool, hot, brucey boy, uh, sheriff guy. But, yeah, and then he tries to steal the love of this woman who he has to then share with his much, much older brother. So I don't really understand what the, why, why that part. But, you know, some people, as you said, do have daddy issues. I've got daddy issues, you know, some people like a silver fox. There's a lot less murder and meat grinding hmm. than I thought we would be seeing. It's more of like, you know, kind of a character study. I would say. So I was hoping for more gore. I was hoping we would see the demise of that rock band. But instead, we just saw their kind of intro, and then they were just buried in the dirt. I wouldn't say it was my favorite film, but I also thought it was like, uh, it was pretty good. It was fun. First of all, I I don't know like where the line is between like black comedy and is it trying to be campy? I mean, it is campy. It is a horror movie. It's also kind of a comedy. I'm not sure how intentional all, you know, like I, I read that it was at first, the original script was like a real horror movie with yeah, like super dark. Yeah. More like gory violence and bestiality. Even could have seen, I don't know what we could have seen. Well, kind of, well, uh, well. And we've talked about, Toby Hooper was attached to direct this originally for Universal Studios, wow. and that fell through. Universal um, didn't want to do it, so then uh, Toby Hooper also left the the idea of it. I think that this one is like more like Texas Chainsaw Massacre two. If Tourist Trap is kind of like Texas Thank Chainsaw you. Massacre, okay, I'm sorry, Toby Hooper completely ripped this movie off. Yeah, this, when yeah, he yeah. made TCM two, this may be a hot take. I mean, he it's my tip, really. Off TCM two from this movie. Yeah, yeah. He that, had the yeah. script. He was attached to direct, and then he just ripped it off. That, and that—that's the mood that it is to me. If if Tourist Trap is the much more serious and more Texas Chainsaw, this is more Texas Chainsaw two. It's like a parody of itself. I wouldn't like. I feel like 
calling it a comedy is kind of a stretch. Although I watched it the first time and the whole time I was wondering who played Ida. It's Coach Ballbricker from all three Porky's movies. Wow. I was not expecting to, I was like, I know this actress from somewhere. I was not <laughs> expecting Coach Ballbricker. And she's great in this. Um, and I understand she got along famously with Kev, with um, Rory Calhoun, who's awesome in this too. This is just a lot of fun. $3 million budget from what I understand. It looks amazing. I think you can tell this of the two movies this week this one has the budget because every scene just looks really, really good. I thought the acting was good. They seem like they paid everyone in this, and that's near, uh, Nancy Parsons. <laughs> they is, paid. Well, yeah. What do you mean when you say like, it seems like they paid everyone? Yeah, because they had uh, just they had multiple people that it seems like they. Let paid me finish everyone. my fucking take. <laughs> Give him a take. Made six million at the box office. That's six point three. I do want to clarify, though, there isn't – you said when uh, – that there's like a threesome. They don't share – Bruce, the cop, the sheriff, Bruce, he is in love with Terry, the captive, for the, the stop. I said home. a love triangle. Yeah, it, it yeah. is a love triangle. It's not, but it's not a threesome. What I was trying to say is that were you to be an attractive woman, would you pick the younger, fitter sheriff? who seems like a cool guy, like brings you and sees like horror movies on like a, an outdoor screen, or would you pick the weird old man who makes meats for a living? Separate issue. Now, there's obviously a Stockholm syndrome going on here. She's, first of all, Terry is only there because Farmer Vincent tried to kill her and her boyfriend, and she survived the accident, so he decides that she should live. And then she just decides to stay there because her boyfriend is dead, who, if you go by the grave marker, her boyfriend was about 62 cat so that might explain when they show the boyfriend's grave if you do the math her boyfriend would have been in his 60s so clearly you she has paid that oh. close attention to that she's no, already so got daddy little, issues little factoid i found on the I internet mean, Kevin. some some girls <laughs> like older guys cat i mean it's okay i mean the movie was very falsely advertised because one of the key scenes in the movie is farmer vincent puts a pig head on that was like the marketing. So I had never seen this movie. And I was like, man, this is going to be like Pighead Guy ripping people apart. That is approximately nine seconds of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just great horror imagery. Guy has That's a true. dead true. pig's head on his I'm head. I'm glad it's there. Wielding a chainsaw. So we should explain that one one mode that Farmer Vincent uses with his one thing he does with his captives is for some reason, even though they're, it's about meat, you know? Meat's meat. Man's got to eat. That's his grandmother's uh, saying that he lets everyone know. Oh, I thought you this... just made that up. I was like, wow. No, no. When he tells the story about how his grandmother cooked and cured their dog because it was barking too much, and um, Terry says, my God, she knew it was a dog, and he says, meat's meat. Man's got to eat. That's what she always said. So what they do with their, their captives is they bury them in the ground in the garden up to their heads. So just even though... I don't, I don't really get to why they pump them up. I don't get why they're vegetables though. I guess it's kind of a veal thing. So they're buried up to their heads and then uh, Vincent severs their vocal cords and stitch them up so they can't make any noise except for these gross like gurgles and hisses and stuff like that. They're environmentally conscious. Yeah, and then I when mean, they're ready is... to to smoke and cure them they pull them out. At the end some of the uh some of the vegetables get out. Farmer Vincent's last line is 
I used preservatives. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, yeah, his yeah. regret. <laughs> yeah. his, his big regret. <laughs> He's a fraud, he says. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do think it's clear that this was meant to be like a very serious horror movie when it started. And at some point, they were like, this is bonkers. Like, we need to, like, add some comedy. And Ida, Nancy Parsons, uh, our Porky's actress, she brought that. Well, I was wondering about the, the origins of, like, horror comedy. Because horror comedy, if you think about it, is like chocolate-covered steak or something. It's like two opposite things put together. And I remember, like, you know, like, Young Frankenstein and... Saturday the 14th and all that stuff. But I just wonder when all this, like, taking something that is scaring people and making it funny started. That The thing with that to me is that, like, most horror movies are kind of funny. Like, that's to me, that's like a duality that's always there. If you go back to, like, Blood Feast, like, 62 or something, whatever that was, like, that's hilarious. Like, the, to me, even Night of the Living Dead, George Romero... Um, you know, the, the humor is sort of like, I think it's kind of just the other side of the horror coin, and some use less of it, and some run into it. This runs into it. I mean, I, I look at, like, our first, like, you know, the, the first Speak All Evil live, um, the first movie that we sh- we showed when we did Friday the 13th at uh, Geno's. It was more about us yelling at the screen and laughing at, like, certain scenes, Um that kind of proves that, like, yeah, there are certain elements. I think you, I mean, obviously, we're not going to get together and laugh about, like, martyrs. But we, we there are certain sub-genres of horror that we are meant to, like, get together as a community and mystery science theater 3000 them mm-hmm. and yell at the screen and, like, all laugh together. Yes. Uh, this one would be perfect well, for that's it. why. That's why I picked the 80s movies. For these, because they have a certain place in in the catalog of all horror movies that is just fun and it's lowbrow and it, and it's expected. It's not going to have like you know big plot surprises most of the time. It's going to be pretty laid out like you've seen before, and especially these like under underseen movies. Um, you know they follow like the same the same tropes, and it's like the like you know like blues music or like jazz music where there's a a center that you stay to and then you just kind of like riff off from that. And I it's think true. both of these it's movies true. like riffed off that in a weird enough way. They were both biting everything so hard. Um, score better score than this movie deserves. Um, you were totally right about that. Dave Lance Rubin, who I couldn't find a lot. He did a score to happy birthday to me, which is one I'm sure we'll, Oh, I like that. We'll one. talk about someday. Um, but I love the, also the country song that's in this. And, uh, yes. it's at Clegg's. Who's the artist? Uh, it's called you're eating out my heart and soul. I think is the name. Right. It's so actually very cannibal. The name uh, of the song. Windows. Yeah. The way through. <laughs> it's really good. Oh, Craig Nance, you're eating out my heart and soul. Uh, you can find that out there. I haven't looked into, uh, Nance's career yet, but we do have, I, I do, uh, I regret not mentioning that in the last movie we talked about tourist trap that the score was done by pino Donaggio, uh who just happened to be in town doing the score for piranha for joe dante's piranha but Donaggio also did the score for carrie the howling and then later on seed of chucky yeah yeah he had he had a great career 
Did you guys notice uh, Ivan from Ivan and the Terribles had like the worst fake beard you've the ever seen in your life? Fake beard. Oh lord. I oh, think yeah. it's. Because, I think. I think it was a uh, stage prop. Why wouldn't to they be just... Ivan in Ivan and the Terribles? I think that it was supposed to be obvious that it was fake. Is it? Because I think so. I think it was just, uh, because like, otherwise, just don't give him a beard, right? Like he didn't even have a role in this film, really. This was uh, co-written by one of the Jaffe brothers. One of the, one of the Jaffe brothers had a pretty big career in writing, right? Yeah, and the weirder thing is that Nina Axelrod, who played Terry, she married Robert Jaffe. Oh wow! One of the writers did not know that. Yes, they they were married from when they made this movie until like 2019, and they got divorced. So she's single. Do you guys want to spoil Tourist Trap now? Yep. Yes. David, it's your Let's pick. It. It's your. I'll give you the spoil on that. Well, yeah. So, uh, what what did you say the name of the actor that is credited as Davy? Uh, it's the, it's the two oh, children. There's a fake. There's a fake credit in the beginning. That's not the, right. The it's actors. the two children of Chuck Connors, Shaler Kobe. Right. right. Those those are his two kids. But they didn't want you to know that the brother was actually the same. That guy. Mr. Slauson was right. the same as Davy. So uh, they they use that moniker for that. I thought that was kind of cool that they did that to not spoil it. Yeah, uh, another un, we talked about how it's influenced by Psycho. This comes down to, and it's it's a little cheap sometimes at this point to me in horror movies. But the disassociative disorder we've seen that a million times. Turns out Mr. Slauson is the same person as his right. brother. Oh my God! I I can't but believe it. I, I believed it in this one because <laughs> they they on set they called him Plastic Face. Well, because plaster face. I I, I like plaster face. Yeah, yeah. I found it believable because of the infidelity with his wife that he obviously was very still in love with, mm. and like it made me believe it a little bit. I didn't uh, know what to make of that whole story. Yeah, so when he's explaining, like Mr. Slauson tells this whole story that his brother was having an affair with his wife. And I wasn't sure if that he, was supposed to be he a reliable them both. And he said right. he says that it's legal. To kill your wife if she's having it. He says that in it. He said it's legal. I don't know what state this is set in or what. Kentucky. Uh, yeah. In 1979 yeah, yeah. Some, Somewhere Kentucky. where laws are being passed right now where that <laughs> will be legal. 2020. 2020. Kentucky. Uh, Kevin, what are we doing uh, next week? Next week is Kevin's turn. I'm going to do film within a film. Oh, nice. The movie X. And then I'm going to do an older movie, go back to Dave's uh, golden era, and I'm going to do Return to Horror High. Gag me with a spoon. <laughs> which is, <laughs> which is uh, our first uh, introduction to George Clooney. So, yeah. All right. So next week, X, and I think that's still VOD. X hasn't hit any of the, um, the subscription platforms yet. And Return to Horror High, I want to say, is another Tubi. It's on Tubi. Yeah, so X and Return to Horror High next week. But seriously, gag me with a spoon. <laughs>